Well, we have jumped into a sermon series that is about real and lasting change, which means we're digging below the surface of what we do and what we want, and we're trying to get a hold of, but why do we do it? Knowing what you do is not enough. Why do you do it? If you really want to change, you need to know what's driving the do. Why do I do that? And then, oh, why do I want that so badly that I would do anything to get it? And, and it affects people around me who get in my way. What is going on? It's not just the what and the want, but the why and why so badly, which means now when you go that direction, we're talking about motives, affections, and you ready? Worship. That all takes place in the heart, below the surface of what you see people doing and saying. Unseen to us and everyone around us, but ready? God sees it. And guess what? He would love for you and me to see it also. Why? Because that's where real change starts. Some of you have been wondering, why can't I change? Why can't I change? I know what the Bible says. I try to do more of this and less of that, and it doesn't seem to make a difference. What's going on? Oh, listen, real change starts in the heart when you become aware of what's going on in my heart. And you realize because we're human beings created in the image of God and for the glory of God, it means that we are by design worshipers. We are created with a desire to make much of something, to prize and treasure something, to push something up onto the altar of our life. You realize human beings are not content to just live life. Just do another day, just do another day. Why? We want something to live for. We want something problem. We grab things in this world, even good things, and we take those and push them up onto the altar of our lives and they were never designed to bear the weight of all your aspirations, to deeply satisfy you consistently. And then we say, what is going on? And the, idol, the, the, the Bible calls this heart condition of false worship and reaching and grabbing something else and putting it at the center of your life, idols of the heart. Where you grab something created in this world and try to make it the main thing in your life. You say, okay, whatever, that's all just going on in my heart, no big deal, stay with me. And when you do that, it affects you, it affects everyone around you, and it affects your relationship with God. I would put it to you this way, when idols of the heart are raging, are at play within you, it skews your view of everything that matters most. How you see yourself, how you see those around you and how you see and relate to God are all impacted by what's going on in your heart. What's going on in your heart? And so today I wanna to really go after it in this message. <clears throat> and I wanna to try to help you answer this question. So how would you, you've heard me tell some stories on myself, right? But how would you spot an idol in your life? How would you know you've crossed the line just from, oh yeah, I appreciate that, I enjoy that, it's a good gift from God, I don't worship that. How would you know? How would you spot an idol? How would you be aware that something had shifted and drifted perhaps from where it should be into a place it should not be? That's what I want us to talk about. But before we do, let's, rev let's review our definition of an idol. Ready, I want you to say it with me. An idol is anything or anyone that begins to capture our hearts and minds and affections more than God. Say it again. An idol is anything or anyone that begins to capture our hearts and minds and affections more than God. In other words, it's living on substitutes. It's trying to get something else to do for you what only God can do for you. It's exchanging the glory of the one true living God for something in this created world. And guess what? It won't work. It won't work. It won't work. Because everything else in this world, even good things, marriage, children, work, they're broken, they leak. Everything else in this world will fail you at some point, will disappoint you. Also, it's something that can be taken or shaken. You don't want to put your hope or your identity or your greatest source of joy 
and security in something that can be shaken or taken. People, I don't know if you discovered this, people are not that dependable. Have you, have you run into that? I just got to find better friends, a better spouse, better coworkers. Good luck on that. I always tell people, stay with the spouse you have. The next one will be a sinner also. So, hey, let's deal with the sin we got with this one. Why change? You know? Oh, can't tell you how many times I'm in a counseling session and someone literally will say, I just wish he was more like, and they'll name someone in our church that I know and I'm dealing with. I'm like, oh, girl, you do not want him. Take this guy and all his crap right here. This is better crap. You do not know. Woo, sinner. Every cohort, you can change jobs, you can change churches, you can change spouses. Hello. Everyone in this world at some point will fail you. And, and it's not devastating if your greatest hope and security and source of joy was not riding on it. That's what we're trying to dig into and talk about. And I'm, I'm pressing you because I actually want you to experience, this was life-changing for me, you guys. I grew up in the church, but it was life-changing at like age 30. I wish this had happened sooner. When in counseling, someone helped me to go after idols of the heart. Why does Brad do what he does? And why does he want what he wants so badly? And it was such a game changer. It was life-changing. I want you to have this. And so that's why I'm pressing in between these Sunday sermons. This can't be the magic hour, you guys. We're like, oh, I heard a sermon, changed my life. Here's what happens. I heard a sermon. It caused me to rethink, and I went on and prayed and dug and studied and wrestled and cried out to the Lord and said, help me apply this to me. So I'm pushing you in between these Sundays, do more. Get the book. Get the book and read. So like this week, chapter seven and eight of Gospel Treason, we'll dig into what we're doing today. How would you spot an idol? If you don't like to read, it's on Audible. Listen to it. Go to my website, bradbigney.com. Download the study guide. It's free. And use it for your quiet time. Look up some other verses. Answer some heart questions. Try to apply it to your life. Meet with somebody else and say, let's wrestle and talk our way through this. Don't just let these Sunday sermons be it. Unless you're sitting there and saying, my life is glorious. I can't think of anything that needs adjusting. Ooh, dig, dig some more. So let's go after it. How would you spot an idol in your own life? I'm gonna give you four ways I think it could help you track down an idol. Four ways you could start to track down an idol in your own life. Number one, follow the trail of your time money, and affections, because it always leads to the throne of your heart. See, here's what we're up against. I can't even see my own heart, right? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. You don't know yourself like you think you do. Others can't see my heart, but guess what? The Bible teaches all kinds of things about the heart, and it it says these are heart indicators. Look for this, and then you'll you'll say, ooh, ooh. That has something to do with my heart. Here's one. It's not in your notes, so you may want to jot this down. Remember the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus? Matthew 6, 21. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oh, oh. So I can't see my heart, but guess what you can see? Where are you piling up your treasure? Where's your time going? Where's your treasure going? Where are their emotions, high highs and low lows? That's a tip off. That's an indicator, like dashboard lights on the, on the dashboard of your car. That's an indicator. It's something worth checking out. Ooh, follow the trail of your time, money, and affection and see where it leads you. See what you discover. Louis Giglio gets it right when he says this. Some of us attend the church on the corner, professing to worship the living God above all. Others who rarely darken the church doors would say worship isn't a part of their lives because they aren't religious. So not true. Everybody's a worshiper. Question, what are you worshiping? Say they're not religious, but everybody has an altar and every altar has a throne. So how do you know where and what you worship? It's easy. 
You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, your allegiance. At the end of that trail, you'll find a throne. And whatever or whomever is on that throne is what's of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. I know nobody gets up and bows down in front of their kids or their spouse or, or bows down in front of XYZ company. You don't have to be physically bowing down to it to be guilty of worshiping it. Worship is simply what you prize, treasure, depend on, place your identity in, make much of, protect, defend, promote. That's worship. That's worship. That's worship. On that throne is what you worship. Sure, not too many of us walk around saying, I worship my stuff. I worship my job. I worship this pleasure. I worship her. I worship my body. I worship me. But the trail never lies. We may say we value this thing or that thing more than any other, but the volume of our actions speaks louder than our words. In the end, our worship is more about what we do than what we say. Let me put it to you this way. If someone had followed you around this past week, tracking you with a video camera, capturing, capturing what you do with your money, what you do with your time, and where they see the most emotions, lots of emotion, where do you get angry quickly? Where are you fearful? Where are you anxious? Where are you sad? Where are you happy? Time, money, affection. What would they decide is most important to you? Again, there, there, would, need, there would be no need for audio. I'm saying push that off the table. Not what you're saying, but if they just observed what you're doing with your time, what you're doing with your money, and where they see the most emotion, anger, anxiety, fear, sadness, happy, what would they conclude is most important to you. And as you think about it, let me give you some other clues to look for along the way. When idolatry kicks in, and and let me say this, a big disclaimer. Sometimes when we dig into this, whether I do it in counseling or when I speak other places, people hear what I'm not saying and they act like they go to another extreme. What, you mean I can't enjoy anything? After your series, I can enjoy nothing. Like, is it wrong to love my kids? No. Is it wrong to love my grandkids? No. Don't hear what I'm not saying. What we're talking about is when it becomes inordinate. It's too much. It's unrestrained. It exceeds reasonable limits. It's out of bounds. So I know this can be kind of dicey, and here's the problem. Here's what we all think. My affections and what I'm doing are completely normal. Hers are unrestrained. They exceed reasonable bounds, right? We always see it in other people. So ask God. Remember I gave you a prayer, Psalm 139, 23, 24. Search who? Search me, O God, and know my Try me, test me, see if there be any anxious way in me. Show me what's going on with me. And then, oh, guess what else you can do? Invite others to speak into your life. You're like, are you kidding me? No, I'm really not. We need each other. People closest to you see you in ways that you don't see you and get help you. They get help you. I, I never say to Vicki, hey, give me three to five things I could work on as a husband. She's like, I'm drawing a blank, baby. You are amazing. We couldn't even tweak anything. Nope. She can usually come up with something. I'm just like, oh, whoa, 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 just three to five. Don't overwhelm me. Three to five. Stop. Enough. We'll do this another year. Just, right? Have any of us arrived? No. But in your flesh, don't you think you have? Oh, I used to be, and I used to be really, and and it's like we're not anything that needs to be worked on now. Probably not true. Ask God. Ask others closest to you. What's going on with me? So this isn't I can't love, I can't enjoy, I can't appreciate. It's when it goes from I enjoy this as a gift and I'm grateful to I live for this. I build my world around this. I place my security and hope in this. That's when we're in trouble and often we don't even know it until it's shaken or taken. It's easy to say, I don't worship my health. I haven't built my world around my kids. When all your kids are doing well, it's easy to say that. When one goes off the rails and begins to break your heart and begins to make horrific choices, and if you can't get out of bed and you can't still serve and you can't still laugh and you still can't date your husband, you still, it might be that, uh uh-oh, 
that did mean more to me than I thought. I'm struggling to go on. So let me give you some clues to look for along the way. When idolatry kicks in and it shifted from thank you, Lord, for this to I live for this, you will sacrifice for it. You'll spend time on it. You'll spend money on it. And then let me throw another caution in here. We are looking for a cluster. We're looking for a cluster that's inordinate. Because, so, so don't do this. Sometimes people do this. Oh, you just sacrificed for your kids. They're idols. Can you raise kids without sacrificing? I mean, like, whoo, die to self. Like, let's have another one. Whoo, and another one. Whoo, where's me time? There ain't me time. Somebody needs to be wiped and bathed and helped. So you're going to sacrifice to parent. You're going to, it's the question of, is it inordinate? Is it just out of bounds? Is it unrestrained? Does it exceed? You'll sacrifice too much. You'll spend too much. You'll talk about it. You're going to talk about it. What's going on in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. You're going to talk about it. You're going to serve it. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Sometimes you get around parents. We all love our kids, right? That's a normal thing. But have you not been around someone? Sometimes you just think, enough. Your child is, yes, the next president of the United States. They can do no harm. They, oh, cease, woman. Cease. We all have kids. It's like, and you think, something's not right. This is her whole and her identity is tied to this and uh-oh. You'll talk about it. You'll serve it. You'll protect it. You'll try to perfect it. You'll think about it. You'll build your schedule around it. You'll worry about it. You'll get angry if anyone blocks you from it. And you'll live in fear if it's threatened in any way. You guys, we, we live in a culture now you know, you just see anger like we've never seen it before. Human beings have always been angry and guilty of anger. But it's like, it's like, it's not anger anymore. It's rage. And it's rage so quickly over so many things. And it's almost affirmed. Yes, rage, 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 rage. And fear and anxiety, like epidemic, right? Human beings have always been fearful creatures because we're frail and the world is so uncertain. We've always been guilty of some anxiety, but we're talking about now, what in the world is going on? Let me help you. There's a lot of idolatry at play in our world. Way more than there used to be. On so many fronts and areas. And people are being encouraged to do something you never should do. It's all about self. It's all about self. It's all about self then that's going to be a very threatened, that's easily threatened. Everybody is in your way. And if everybody's living for self, how's that going to work out? As long as you don't hurt anybody, just do what you want. That's so stupid. People are going to get in each other's way as everybody does what they want because I need you to help me do what I want. You need to get out of my way as I do what I want, but they're trying to do what they want. Will there be a war? Anxiety, fear, Here's a tip off that something is perhaps idolatrous in your life. Whenever you are guilty of allowing an object or a person to begin to rule you and sit on the altar of your heart, your life will be characterized by fear. Characterized by fear. Characterized by fear. Don't hear me saying I get scared every now and then. I mean characterized by fear. Eaten up with it. Why? Because this is fragile. If that's what you're placing your hope in, poof. And, and so, again, don't hear me saying there's not a place for, for medicine that could aid in some of this and settle someone down. Do hear me saying, we've got a culture now, the answer is just take this, take this, take this. Let me help you. If you don't get a hold of your heart and say, what am I believing? What am I saying I have to have? How am I connecting the dots? How am I rehearsing? And what am I looking for and building my world around? All you've done is numbed the anxiety and the fear, and you haven't solved it. It may be that I need to think through the role of my daughter or think through my career or think through my health, my image, you name it, because this is causing me to be fearful and anxious in a way that I don't have to be if I knew what was going on in my heart and could get things more in balance. Fear will characterize you. And it 
And it's not just, oh, you don't end up saying, oh, if I lost that, that would be hard. Remember what we learned from Jeremiah? The characteristic word? Oh, my whole world would collapse and I would be devastated. Devastated. You guys, let me help you. As believers, when you have Christ at the center of your life and you know your biggest problem's been solved, you're not on your way to hell. You have an inheritance that can't be shaken or taken. You have a friend that sticks closer than brother. You have someone who loves you nonstop. It's not conditional. It's the same. He doesn't change yesterday, today, forever. He's your high priest that intercedes for you. You have direct access to the throne of God and you have a bridegroom who says, she's mine, he's mine, I'm coming back. You're not devastated you can be knocked down you can be confused you can be disappointed discouraged all of that but when you shift over here something's not right and it usually means something's not right in the heart let me show you from the new testament what i'm talking about go to second corinthians 4 and this is also a bonus it's a big bonus sunday Write this down because you, you might want to go back and look at it. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 to 9. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 to 9. See, good things happen in the basement at 1868 Mount Vernon Drive as I practice out loud Friday, Saturday. New stuff gets in there that wasn't in the outline. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 to 9. This is Paul writing, believers, not pagans. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts. So if you're here and you're a child of God, you've put your faith in Christ, you've been born again, your heart is no longer dark. You're no longer dead to the things of God. You should have an awareness and life should be framed up by something bigger. There's some light that has exploded. Watch what he says. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. Look what just happened. It's not, so many Christians act like Christianity is a decision to just check some boxes on a list of a creed. You guys, Christianity is a relationship with the most glorious person in the entire universe. And his name is Jesus Christ. And for the first time, he stops, start, stops being some cardboard stand-up figure somewhere back in history. And you know him. Oh my goodness, the light. When he, when he saves you, he gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And where is it found? In the face of Jesus Christ. You know him. He's real to you. You become intimate with him. And some of you are just kind of staring at me because like, ah, I wish. It's not automatic, you guys. It's a choice to lean in to getting, but he's worth getting to know. But if you just keep listening to your flesh that would still call to you to go other places, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now watch verse seven. But we have this, say the word. Say it louder. Treasure. Oh, that's along the lines of what we've been talking about, right? So he's saying believers have this treasure. This was supposed to be our treasure. Knowing the glory of God through Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about this broken, frail body that we live. But inside this, we get the resurrected Jesus Christ, spirit of the living Christ in us, glory of God in us, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Now, in verse 8 and 9, he's going to make four contrasts that really have to do what we're touching on here. So if you wonder, am I guilty of idolatry? Watch what he does. He's gonna, he's gonna give us four categories that he says you can absolutely expect to face this. And then four times he says, but not, but not this. And it might seem subtle to you, but it's not as subtle as you think. It's a huge difference. He doesn't promise that you won't be afflicted. Here we go. We are afflicted occasionally in minor superficial ways. Oh, don't we wish? We are afflicted in how many ways? Every way. Unbelievers get cancer. Do we get cancer? Unbelievers get, lose their job, unemployment. Do we face that? 
I could just go right down the list. He never said you wouldn't. It's only the name it, claim it, blab it, crab it, blab it, crab it, blab it, grab it, crowd that has best-selling books that say otherwise. The Bible doesn't teach that. We are afflicted in every way, just like unbelievers. Difference? When you've got the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, you're afflicted, ready, but not, say it, crushed. See, if you had lived for your health, you had lived for that job, that job is my identity, that's my sense of worth, oh, then you're not just afflicted, you're crushed. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed. Oh, are you going to have times you're like, I don't know what to do. This makes no sense. I don't know what to do. This makes so Yeah, perplexed, but not driven to despair. I'm just driven to despair. Afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted. There's times you feel like, oh my goodness, people are against me. Uh Uh-huh. But not what? Forsaken. And then, oh, get this, struck down. Will we ever get knocked down in this world? Yep. But not, say it, destroyed. So let me help you here. What keeps you in this column? Afflicted, perplexed, struck down from shifting over to crushed, forsaken, destroyed is where's your treasure? What's your treasure? treasure the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus when you have that treasure and you know him and you're aware of it and you're tasting and seeing how good he is and you're sitting at his feet worshiping him oh it's hard when you face these things it's 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 fine to cry it's fine to cry out to God and say this is hard but you're not crushed you're not saying I feel forsaken where is God you're not saying I'm devastated I can't go on That's the difference. And the difference has to do with what's going on in your heart. What's on the throne of your heart? What's on the altar of your heart? If it was something in this world that's finite and can be shaken and shaken, you'll find yourself over here. So let me ask you, how often does this characterize you where you're guilty of saying, oh, I'm I'm devastated. I, 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 I can't go on. My whole Hard, hard, but not, I can't go on, crushed. Follow the trail of your time, money, and affections. Where are these emotions and how are you describing your situation? Number two, oh, take note of your heart during suffering and adversity. Don't just bite the bullet, put your head down and think, let's get through it, let's get through it, let's get through it. Let me encourage you something. Don't waste your suffering. Because guess what? It is a great time to see your heart in ways we don't normally see our heart. Do you realize you can see your heart during heat in ways that comfortable days cannot do? Our heart normally lies dormant and deep. But heat, watch me, heat pushes to the surface, heart. In the furnace of affliction, heart bubbles up. Heart starts showing itself. You begin to be aware. Now, here's the the problem. Here's the first thing we do. Oh, well, that's not really me. Don't judge me based on now. Things are just so hard. The contrary is true, my friend. That is who you really are. And job loss and older kids going astray or difficulties in your marriage didn't make you anything. It simply exposed what was always true. And now you know. I know it's not fun, but but if you continue to make excuses and say, that's not really me, that's not really me, that's not really me, then you'll never grow and move to a better place until you humble yourself and say, oh God, I wish that wasn't me, but oops, that just came out. I'm seeing this. Wow. Wow. Help me. Help me. I want to grow. This is who I really am. Here's how I'd say it to you. 
I think most of us would probably agree. Last two or three years, 2020, 2021, 22, hard years. Politically, culturally, economically, relationally. I mean, everywhere I go and I travel other places, it didn't just happen here. All over the nation, it happened. Friendships that were shattered. Family members that have strife like they never had before. Here's how I'd say it to you. These past few years were hard years. Guess what else they were? Heart years. You realize H-A-R-D is what most often exposes H-E-A-R-T. Now we know. Now we know. I'm, I'm sure some of you have it like, oh my goodness, I thought she, I thought he, we were really good friends. Huh? Mm-hmm. And now, well, now you know. Now you know. I thought we thought the same way on that. I thought we both loved Jesus. I thought that was our first hope. No. It didn't make anybody something new. But it revealed hearts. Woo! It revealed hearts, including mine. Like in the last, I, I mean, I've been a pastor 37 years. These past three years were the hardest years by far. I mean, I mean sheep have always been sheep. Hello, I love you. But I mean, these were like sheep on steroids. Like, man, they used to bite. Now they take huge, they, they remove limbs when they write me an email. It's like, oh my goodness, what just happened? The level of hate and rhetoric and just, ah! I'm like, dear me. But guess what else happened? I had a dear me with me. I was like, I want to bash the sheep. Right? <laughs> Yeah, that little rod, I'm supposed to gently move them along the path. I would like to like knock your head in with this rod. Just being honest. And I was like, oh dear Lord, there's my heart. I don't love as much as I thought I loved. Help me be a better shepherd. I love people who love me back. I love people who do what I want. I love people who send emails saying, you're the best. We love you. That's who I love. I was like, oh God, I thought I was further along than this as a pastor, Right? And so I just dug down deep instead of saying, well, that's not me. I've never been treated this way before. Don't make excuses. Now I see me. We tend to always have a higher opinion of ourselves than we should, right? And think we're further along than we really are. Thank God for it, even if it's painful and say, whew, okay, God, here we go. Here we go. Thank you for the opportunity to do better, to grow me, grow me, grow me, grow me. Oh, take note of your heart during adversity and heat and suffering. Don't waste it. It's a great time to learn about you and grow. Number three, look for chaos. Do you realize chaos and idolatry run hand in hand? Wherever you have idolatry at play, you will have confusion. You ever in, those, you ever in situations, whether it's work or extended family or even in your marriage, you're like, uh, what are we not understanding? There is so much confusion and chaos. Trust me, the world loves to push more people than they should in the category. Well, she's got a chemical imbalance. He's bipolar. He's got a mental health issue. There are some people, got most of the cases, guess what's going on? No, he has a heart issue. Yeah, there's a chemical imbalance. Way too much of you and what you want and what you're chasing is what we're running into here. If you could see their heart, I mean, you're in those situations like, this is so confusing. If all of a sudden it could be, and you could see what everyone desperately wants, unspoken agendas, what they've actually built their world around, what they're trusting in, it would make perfect sense, this war, this reaction, this. Is that making sense? And so you don't want to just say, well, that's bizarre. That's bizarre. What's going on in the heart? What's going on in the heart? I'll give you an example in my own life. It was a slow burning anger and resentment in the early days of our marriage that I was not even aware of. I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a youth and music pastor on staff at a church. I'm in seminary. Unaware of anger and resentment brewing in my heart that resulted in a public outburst of shouting and shaming and going off on my wife publicly in Olin Mills. How many remember Olin Mills? 
Back before digital cameras, we had to all load up in the car and go to Olin Mills and wait forever for our turn for a family picture, right? And so every Christmas in Knoxville, my mom made us do this. I already don't want to be there, right? And she never bought the package. She just took the free eight by 10. So we get nothing. <laughs> this is taking forever. It's taking half a day. Oh, mother. So there I am in my Christmas sweater. I'm convinced people still talk about it today. Remember that guy in the Christmas sweater? Oh, yeah. I mean, this happened in front of my grandparents, my parents, my brothers, my cousins, my aunt, my uncle, and people I didn't even know. And it stopped all conversation as they watched me go. And it just went off on sweet Vicky. And you're like, she must have done something horrible, Brad. Yep. She stepped over to me and she said, on the way back to your parents' house, can we stop at the store and get diapers? Can you believe that? <laughs> right? So, so here's where, right? If we're not careful, we're like, he's got a chemical imbalance. That makes no sense. He's bipolar. He's, if you'd seen my heart. I mean, it surprised even me. I hadn't planned on that. But it just erupted. I just, you should have already thought about that. And, oh, frothy. Right? Guess what I'd been doing, even though I'd never articulated it to myself, I certainly hadn't announced it to her. Here's what I've been doing. What you say to yourself and what you're believing and what you're prizing and what you're treasuring. I was guilty of the sin of self-pity that led to an idol. I'd, been, I'd built a fortress around, I deserve a break. No one should expect anything additional from me. Remember how I keep telling you the people you love the most, the closest to you suffer the most from your idolatry. So certainly my wife shouldn't expect anything else of me. Just relieve me and serve me. Lay no additional demands on me. I built this fortress around I. I'm working so hard. I'm working three jobs. We live in a mobile home. I'm trying to balance the checkbook. I'm trying to work on the car. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm in seminary. We have no money. Poor me. I have it so hard. I have it so hard. I have it so hard. And without realizing it, therefore, I deserve a break. And if you break the rules of my kingdom, yep, you'll have my anger to deal with. See, I hope you've heard this repeatedly because anger is such a deal, you guys. Nobody is just guilty of anger. Oh, help that man with anger. Help that woman with anger. You don't memorize some do not get angry verses and fix that. You got to figure out what are they wanting? What are they believing? What are they prizing? What are they saying they deserve? Almost always they think there's something I deserve. There's something I'm entitled to. And you just got in my way or you're not giving me what I want. So anger is what I'll give you. It surprised even me, which was actually a good thing that led us to say, we got to get help. We need to get help. Like, wow, let's get some help on this. Because I hope you realize, I think it's in your notes, Ephesians 4, verse 31. It says, let no bitterness or anger or wrath or clamor or evil speaking or malice be found. Guess what? If you get bitter, and I'd gotten bitter, just in my own little heart, bitter. I have it so hard. I have it so hard. Then you start to just stew with a low brewing level of anger. And then, clam- you, want, you know what clamor is if you look it up? It's public. You know you're at a bad place when now, oh, we used to go off on each other in private at the house, but now we don't care. It can happen in a restaurant. It can happen in a parking lot. It can happen in Olin Mills. You're way on down the path. Evil speaking is now, I look for ways to talk bad about you. And then malice is, I actually plot in my mind ways that you could suffer. Do you see the progression? But what did it start with? Bitterness. Bitterness. I'm not getting what I want. I've built my world around something, and you're not giving it to me. So you will have my wrath to deal with. Number four, ask yourself some heart diagnostic questions that can help you discern, am I just appreciating this or is it perhaps in the wrong place in my life? Three questions you can ask. Am I willing to sin to get it? All I want is, yeah, but are you willing to sin to get it? Am I willing to sin if I think I'm gonna lose it? I have it, but ooh, it's starting to wane. It's starting, what are you gonna do? You willing to sin? And, and do I run to it as a refuge? Three heart diagnostic questions. Take work, for instance. 
You willing to work 70, 80, 100 hours a week to be the flavor of the month, to catch the boss's eye, to move forward? And yet it's costing you in other areas, church, marriage, knowing your kids, serving neighbors. This one thing has become the main thing and everything else is sacrificed on that altar. You willing to uproot and just relocate anywhere in the country, regardless if there's a good church there, good school system, regardless of impact on relationships and friendships with your spouse and kids, because, oh, it's the best next good move for me in my career. That's the only thing that matters. Are you willing to cross the line ethically? Oh, we're facing that more and more. And sometimes Christians look at me and say, well, Pastor Brad, that's just the way it is today. Well, it may be, but are you willing to lie? Lie to customers, lie, and be unethical to keep your, but, but I won't move forward if I don't. Well, then maybe you just won't move forward. Are you willing to sin to get it? Are you willing to sin if you think you're gonna lose it? Oh, it's easy to say you don't worship your health. You don't worship image when you've got it, when you're young. But oh, as you age, as you age, your body begins to mock you and attack you during the night. I mean, like, right, I mean, I hope you know, I would love to have hair on my head. I really would. This is, this is not my choice. Mine fell out at 19, and it was really disturbing to me as I saw it swirling in the shower drain. I remember, I remember asking the girl that was cutting my hair, like, am I using a harsh shampoo or something? Like, what, can I, can we stop this? No, goodbye hair. But as you lose it, am I willing to spend thousands of dollars to try to get the hair on the back of my neck to grow on my head? You could do that. You could be in this quest, I must have hair. Well, here's what's, here's what's just oh, so disturbing. I have hair in places I don't want it. Like, if I could harvest ear hair, I could have a full head. You know, I mean, swept back, parted in the middle. And it just springs forth overnight. It's like, bam! It was like, I, I try to groom myself and be ready for Sunday. And it's like, you know, you just turn in the bathroom and the light hits a certain way. It's like that, it's like, oh! How long is that? It's like a fishing line. How long has that been there? How many people have seen that and not said, Brad, there's a giant hair just sticking out to the side. I can't hardly hear what you're saying because of that hair that's bouncing around. Trust me, if you've seen it, I've tried to work on it. And I mainly do it when I'm driving. I try to pluck them. But when she's with me, she's like, don't do that. Don't. I'm like, but that's when I see it in the light, in the, in the rearview mirror. It's like, I never used to have mountains of ear hair. And as you age, it doesn't matter. Oh, you're going to slow down. You won't be the latest, greatest flavor, right? We talked about empty nest syndrome where a woman loses herself in parenting. And now she's at a loss when the kids launch. Guess what? What's a midlife crisis? See, the, the world has titles for all this. And the Bible brings it back to one thing, idolatry. What's a midlife crisis? All it is is the shocking, startling wake-up call that you'd built your life around something that it never should have been built around. I'm not that powerful anymore. I'm not as attractive. I'm not as important in the marketplace. They're hiring people half my age, paying them half what they pay me, and they do it faster. And you feel displaced, and you're like, and then you divorce your wife and marry someone half your age. You get rid of the Malibu Chevrolet, and you buy a red sports car top down. You start wearing lots of gold jewelry and bling using words and phrases that younger people use. What's going on? A midlife crisis is, I don't know where I fit and I used to be important and this is painful. This is devastating. Of course it's difficult. Of course it's disappointing. Of course you got to get your head around adjusting. But if it was your world, if it was your sense of identity and worth, It's devastating, and you'll end up doing things that you shouldn't be doing, chasing after things that you would not be chasing after. What bubbles up for you when you ask those three questions? Am I willing to sin to get it? Am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose it? Do I run to it as a refuge? There's nothing wrong with eating, but do you realize you can eat just to eat, just for the quick hit? the pleasure of food, but I'm actually not hungry, but I had a hard day at work, so I'm just gonna eat. That's a false refuge. There's nothing wrong with television, but in one weekend on a Friday, Saturday, to binge your way through an entire season might be, I, I just don't wanna have to think about real life. It's my refuge. I want to, I want to completely just 
escape the world as I watch an entire season in one weekend. You can do it with any number of things. Shopping is not a sin. But just to buy for the thrill of the purchase, and then as soon as it's unwrapped, and as soon as it begins to not be that great, you gotta, I mean, there are people with closets, with clothes that still have tags on it. That's why we have storage units. I, can't, I don't have a place for all my stuff. Shopping, eating, television, sleep, work, just lose yourself in it. Is it a false refuge? Am I running to something else? So what's the answer? Number five, repenting and rejoicing in Christ is the way to get free. Oh, listen to me. Don't ever isolate the change and grow process from the context of your relationship with Jesus. So look at me. This is not, this is not just let's be killing idols. Ready? Be cultivating intimacy with Jesus. Remember that story in the Bible where a demon was cast out of the guy and the, his heart was just swept clean and nothing was put in? What happened? Seven demons came back. If you just make your focus trying to identify and kill idols, they'll just be one right after the next that'll creep in. Here's how you fight. Yes, spot it, try to kill it, and cultivate intimacy with Jesus Christ. He's better. When you're tasting something better, you're not as prone to grab this and want this and think you have to have this because you're having something better. Treasure of the glory of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ will keep you from some of these things. Go to Colossians chapter three and let me show you as we close what I'm talking about. Colossians chapter three puts this in perspective that it's not just killing this, but cultivating this. Colossians three. Beginning in verse one, if then you have been raised with Christ, you saw the believers, you've been raised with Christ. You're alive spiritually. Your biggest problem's been solved. You're not on your way to hell. You're in relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where, Guess what? You have to choose that. You have to choose your focus. No one can do this for you. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on, you gotta choose where you're gonna set your mind. And I gotta tell you, my favorite way to do this, that I'm not sure I could keep this in perspective, is every morning sitting with God's word. It's like a reset. It's like a reset. And some of you, it breaks my heart. You keep saying, oh, I can't read the Bible. Oh, I can't read, I'm so busy. You guys, I don't know how you set your mind on things above without going to God's word regularly. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, that's right. That's who I am and that's what I have. And here's what's coming. That's who I am, that's what I have. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now watch this in verse four. When Christ who is your life Appears. Notice he doesn't say when Christ who one day will be your life appears. Because right now your life is all about work, kids, grandkids. Uh Uh-uh. If you're a believer, Christ is supposed to be your life right now. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Then when you have that heart perspective, he's my life. Then you begin to put to death things. Look at verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. That's our word, epithumia, that we've been working. A desire that's strong enough that it motivates behavior. It's a word that they would translate in, in their culture, craving, longing. Put to death the craving and longing for something in this world. You'll only be able to do that when Christ is your treasure and you're tasting how good he is. Tim Keller talks about a woman in his church. He went and planted churches in New York City, but he started a church in Virginia. And there was a woman in his church in Virginia that had had, had a hard life, had lived hard. But now it was evident that she was a trophy of grace. Something had happened in her life. The church was small, so he asked to, to do lunch with her and said, hey, tell me your story. I sense that something has happened. I can tell you've had a hard life, but oh, it looks like God has done something incredible. And she, was, she had had a life where she had attached herself 
and her worth and her hope and her security in men. She had been through a number of bad men. And, and I run into this, we run into this in our counseling, where a woman who's really being harmed by a man, not helped by him at all, but she won't let him go. This was that woman. She was depending on men. Her world was men. She even went to prison because she was willing to do some things they wanted her to do. She gets out of prison. She begins to meet with, meet with a secular counselor. And this counselor, she told Tim, said to her, you need to go back to school, get a degree, make yourself independent where you can have a career and finances of your own and not depend on men. Now, she was insightful, this, this woman. She said, there was some truth to that, and I did. I went back to school, got a degree, I have a career. But she said, I did not do exactly what she meant. She said, because I did not want to shift from what very often is a female idol, building my world around men, to what is very often a male idol, building my world around work. She said, when I read Colossians 3, 4, it set me free. And I said, that's going to be my identity. When Christ, who is your life. She actually went on to say to him, yeah, I would love to be married. And she said, when I see an attractive young guy, single guy in our church here, I just say to myself, not out loud, thank goodness. Yes, you are attractive. And you might one day be my husband, but you will never be my life. When Christ, who is right now, your life. Same thing Paul was saying in Philippians 1.21 when he said, for to me to live is Christ. How would you finish that sentence in your own life, honestly? For me to live is And how would those that know you well and live close to you finish it for you? Oh, for her. Oh, make Christ the treasure. There'll be a freedom. It'll level out some of your high highs and your low lows. Oh, God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for not just saving us and rescuing us from hell, but giving us what we need to live free and joyfully in this fallen, broken world. Yes, afflicted, but not crushed. Yes, perplexed readily, but not driven to despair. Not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Oh God, show us our hearts and then show us how to cultivate intimacy with Jesus and make him our treasure. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.